You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. I invite you to get your Bibles out, turn to John chapter 16. This is the uh, sixth sermon now in our series, What We Believe, working through our doctrinal statement that we adopted at the beginning of the year. Again, um, if you haven't got your uh, folder of the doctrinal statement, we've got a few copies. I can print off more for you to take home and just to keep handy. Uh, Ten points of doctrine. Uh, We've been working through them. We're on our sixth point, as I said this morning. I invite you to grab a copy of that, if you like, for your own study at home. This morning is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15 to start off with, and then we will get into it. So this is John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Jesus speaking here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So if someone comes to you and says that they are really into the Holy Spirit, what do you think of that person? If someone comes and says they're really into the Spirit, what what, what kind of an individual comes to your mind, to your imagination, when you think of someone who's really into the Spirit, who's really into spiritual things? It can be difficult today to, to talk about such things because we're in a culture that while it is drifting away from any kind of Christian orthodoxy, while we're drifting away from what would be tried and true doctrinal statements that have been affirmed for thousands of years through the Christian church, while doctrine's kind of losing its uh, dogma, is kind of losing its vogueness, it's not, as, it's not as in style to be about doctrine, while that's going out of style, people are very eager to be very spiritual, very spiritual. People are very open to spirituality. It isn't hard to find someone nowadays who will say that they are spiritual but not religious. And they mean that they like spiritual things. They're open to God. They're even open to supernatural things many times, but they're not necessarily religious. And by that, they might mean they're not into some hard, fast ideas or concepts. So those, and those people that you encounter 
who are often the most spiritual can end up being quite eccentric when we talk about people who are really into the Holy Spirit. And so what about us as a church? Do we make much of the Holy Spirit? Are we a spirit-filled congregation? Is your life one that is led by the Spirit? Should it be? Should we be a Holy Spirit church? Well, let's hear what our doctrinal statement has to say about the Holy Spirit. This is the sixth point of our doctrinal statement. It says this regarding the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that He does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners And in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. In paragraph. There's our doctrinal statement of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And we've got Tons of passages. They're also on the counter out front is all of the scripture references that where we are pulling out all of these different uh, ideas, truths about the scripture, about the Holy Spirit. You can find that out there as well. And we don't have time this morning, unfortunately, to go through every one of those scriptures. I'll make an additional plug for our Wednesday night uh, meetings where we do go through more scriptures and it's open to uh, conversation and rabbit trails. Uh, That's Wednesday nights. We'll be studying the rest of these doctrines out. But for our purposes this morning, there's our doctrinal statement. And back to the question, should we then make much of the Holy Spirit? Should we make much of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to give you an answer, and it's this. It's no and yes. Now, now before you freak out, let me explain why I say no. I say no for two reasons. First, while we don't make much, like we're not a church that's going to placard out, we are a Holy Spirit church. The reason why I say no is because the Holy Spirit himself and all that he does is not to glorify himself, but to glorify Jesus. We are a gospel-centered church. We make much of Jesus. We make much of Jesus and his work on the cross. The Holy Spirit himself, his work there in John chapter 16, verse 14. Jesus says he, the comforter, the helper, when he comes, what's he going to do? He's going to glorify Jesus. He's going to glorify Jesus. He's going to make much of Jesus to become a church that flies the banner of we are a Holy Spirit church would almost undercut the Holy Spirit's whole purpose. If you're a Holy Spirit church, you fly the banner, Jesus. <laughs> you fly the banner of look at Christ. Look who he is. Look at him. Look at all that he has done for us. So in one sense, no, we're not a Holy Spirit church. We are a Christ-centered church making much of Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit does makes much of Jesus. That's actually the Holy Spirit's main priority. It's why our statement starts off the way it does. We believe that the Holy Spirit and all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a Holy Spirit church is to make much of Jesus. So no, we're not a Holy Spirit church in the sense that's the banner we wave. But when we wave the banner of Jesus, (laughs) that makes us a church that's seeking to be a Holy Spirit-filled church by making much of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. 
So we're not a Holy Spirit church in that sense. And secondly, we're not a Holy Spirit church because if you don't know Jesus savingly, then there's no sense to try to get you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is, it's like if, if you have no relationship with Jesus, then you do not have the Holy Spirit. It's like trying to teach um, someone how to enter traffic on the interstate and they don't even know how to get in the car and start it yet. That you kind of, one of those needs to go before the other. All right, it's getting the cart before the horse, the proverbial statement. If you don't know Jesus, there's no hope for you to be led by the Spirit of God. Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is, the, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So to emphasize, if we started checking everyone that came in the door, you got to know the Holy Spirit. You got to know the Holy Spirit. You got to know the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, well, wait a second, let's back up. You need to know Jesus. <laughs> You need to believe in Jesus. You need to repent of your sins, trust in Christ. And then when that happens, glory to God, the Holy Spirit does then show up. So for two reasons there, no, we are not a Holy Spirit, but yet, yes, we are. Yes, we are. With those two no answers in view, I say yes, because the Holy Spirit is God and he's worthy of our worship. We, we recite the Nicene Creed, once a month around here, um, the third Sunday of the month, when you're here, we recite the Nicene, it's the long one. The Apostles' Creed is a nice short one. The Nicene Creed is the one where every, the elder gets up and kind of is mad at me because I'm making them read this long Nicene Creed. But the important statement comes in there about the Holy Spirit. It confesses that the Holy Spirit is to be worshipped along with God the Father and God the Son, who is to be worshiped and glorified along with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is God insofar as much as God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Holy Spirit is God, and therefore is worthy of all of our worship. We sing the Gloria Patri every week. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Now, I didn't mean to trip you up there. Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit. That's the old King James way of talking about the Holy Spirit, calling it the Holy Ghost. But that's glory to the Father, glory to the Son, and glory be to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God in as much as Jesus is God, God the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And so no, we don't placard those things up as the main point of our church, but if the Holy Spirit is moving among us, we placard Jesus, and that makes us then, yes, a Holy Spirit-filled church. Not only that is the Holy Spirit worthy of our worship, but it is the Holy Spirit who moves among us today. Certainly, we can say that God is still on the move in our world today, but it is specifically through the Holy Spirit that God is at work. If you listened a couple weeks ago when I was gone, Tony kind of stole some thunder here when he was talking about this reality. It's, it's online. You can go back and listen to it if you missed it. Um, about this reality of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we know, lives the righteous life we should live dies the death that we deserve on the cross, taking our sins as a substitutionary atonement. That's point five last week of our doctrinal statement. He resurrects from the dead, ascends into heaven, and then sends another counselor, another helper, sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that when he leaves the disciples, he will send another comforter to the church. 
the Holy Spirit. And that's in John chapter 14, Jesus makes that promise. And we see it fulfilled then in Acts chapter 2, right? If you read through your Bible and you get to the end of the Gospel of John, it goes into the book of Acts, which is written by Luke. And we see the Holy Spirit then poured out on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the day of atonement, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out as prophesied by the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, he prophesies that in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all kinds of people. And it's fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit then brings conviction. That's what our John chapter 16 passage was saying. To convict the world of sin. If you've ever been convicted of your sin as sin, it's the Holy Spirit moving in your life, convicting you of sin. It's also the Holy Spirit that brings regeneration, that brings new life. It, he convicts the world of its guilt, our statement says. He regenerates the sinners, taking out the heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh to be born again. You remember the scene in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. That's a famous passage of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That John 3, 16 comes out of this narrative with Jesus and Nicodemus, where they're discussing the mysterious nature of the new birth, that the Holy Spirit blows wherever it wills. Nicodemus is like, well, do I go back into my mother and be born again? And he's like, no, that's not, he misses the whole point. The Holy Spirit, though, will show up and regenerate, bringing new birth. You must be born again, which is what the Holy Spirit does. It convicts, it regenerates the sinner. Now, some people will make this distinction between your salvation and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you, if you know Jesus, how do you know if you have the Spirit? If you are saved, if you have repented of your sins, trusted in Christ, cling to him as your Lord and Savior and treasure, do you have the Holy Spirit? Some people make a distinction and say, well, you get saved and you need to get the Holy Spirit. It'll make two sorts of happenings that need to happen in your life. But that's because of a couple of narratives in the book of Acts. And we can look at them if you'd like to at some point. But the teaching, the teaching sections of the New Testament is different. Those are narrative sections in the book of Acts. A couple of times, it kind of appears to happen that way. But when we read what the New Testament teaches about the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see something different. Look, at, um, look with me at Galatians chapter 4. This is kind of a, a Christmas passage, but just speaking about the coming of Jesus. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Talking about salvation there. Jesus, at the fullness of time, was born under the law, born of woman, into humanity. Why? To redeem us so that those who would trust in him would receive adoption as sons. They'd become children of God. And because you are sons, because you are sons, children of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it is because God has sent his spirit upon you. You have the spirit. Paul here says that when you believe upon Christ, you are adopted into the family, becoming sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit into our hearts. Romans chapter eight, verse 15 
makes the same conclusion also. You can look that up later if you want to. But also Ephesians chapter 1, just one back from Galatians there. Galatians, or Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, speaking of Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, when you trusted Christ, you were given, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Christ came to earth to accomplish his mission of salvation. He lived and died and was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit all as a part of his fulfillment of his work. If you are Christ this morning, it is not just some past moment in time that connects you to him. It is his ongoing presence that connects you with him. I wish I could communicate that well enough. To, Jesus, we so often equate our salvation with this moment in Christ's crucifixion and then our believing in him makes us saved. And that is true to a point. When that's what Christ did die in real space-time history. And in our own narrative of our life, there is a moment, a point, in which you are saved, where you are declared righteous. You are justified in God's sight. But that is not the only point of contact that you have with Jesus. Because when you believe in him, you are given the Holy Spirit, such that your connection with Jesus is not just a point of salvation, but it is his ongoing spirit with you that if you are Christ, you are actively connected to him right here, right now, this morning. And every moment of your life, Christ is with you. Not in some sort of moment in my past, I was connected to Jesus. But because of this moment in my past, the spirit now is with me. God is with me in a very intimate and real way. It is his ongoing presence that connects you with him. The Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts. From them will flow, Jesus says, rivers of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that is with us. So everyone who believes in Jesus has the Spirit of Christ, has the Spirit of God, has the Holy Spirit with them. But I want to look at how this then lays out in a few other passages. We're, we're in Ephesians, if you're following along with me. Ephesians chapter 5 is this next place I want us to look at. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. It's often quoted um, as a passage against drunkenness, which it is. Just as a side note, that's a free one. It is a passage against drunkenness. Um, verse 17, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine. Okay, that's pretty clear. It's an imperative. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As equally imperative of a command as it is to not be drunk, which is to not sin against God, to not disobey his command, as, as imperative, as important, as clear as that command is to not be filled with wine, to not get drunk with his, his debauchery, is the same command, be filled with the Spirit. I mean, think about how easily or how prevalent it is to shake our fingers or to wag or to look down or say, no, this is sin. And we all have categories. You all have categories in your life 
where you're like, no, this is a hard, fast line. That is sin. Crossing that line, do not do it. Do not do it. Do not do that. Do not go down that road. But do you have the same strength of imperative to not go down that road as you have to go down this road of be filled with the Spirit? It's a command. It's a command of God that you be filled with the Spirit. Yes, you have the Spirit, but here is this command for you to be filled with the Spirit, to have the Spirit, to be overflowing, to be filled with the Spirit. There is alcohol, when, it, when you're getting drunk, alcohol certainly does do the part to inebriate you, but you're willingly lifting the glass to drink it. And in this same imperative of be filled with the Spirit, it is the Spirit that does the filling, but do we have the same involvement and desire to be filled with the Spirit? Maybe we ought to add that to our prayers. How often do you pray? Fill me with the Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. God, fill me. That as I walk out this day, fill me with your Spirit. It is a command of the Scriptures that we be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says we are to walk by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14 says we are to be led by the Spirit. This is not just some internal leading too often. I think Christians can get astray that they think that being led by the Spirit is following some small inward witness. And so then every, every little desire you have, still small voice inside of you, you think, well, that might be the Spirit, so I'm going to go that way. That's, that's not being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has inspired the Word, has given us clear directions on how to live life. And being led by the Spirit is to have your life formed by His Word, written by the Spirit, and that it instructs you. The Spirit leads you. You are led by the Spirit. You are led in every moment by all that He desires. Is that a prayer on your lips? Spirit, lead me. Lead me today. Guide me. Help me walk by the Spirit. Fill me. We are given gifts by the Spirit. Now, this is sometimes abused at churches where they make much of the spiritual gifts, but it's clear from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 7 through 4, or 4 through 7. I don't have the passage down, so I'm going to look it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Now, there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it, is, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each, every Christian, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given the Spirit. You should be seeked to be filled with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. And you've also been given spiritual gifts. Now, these take on all different sorts of range of, uh, they could be hospitality. It could be teaching. It could be gifts of encouragement. It could be more, more famously known spiritual gifts. There's a variety of gifts. Each one of them, though, is to be for the good of the church. They are to build up the church. Are you using your gifts for the common good to build up the church? How has God gifted you for the benefit of the local body and the spread of the gospel? Find out 
and put his gifts to use. We're also to display the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? Galatians 6, 14, I, I believe, the fruit of the Spirit, or maybe later than that. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit. We are going to be liberated. I mean, this is all the things the Holy Spirit is doing to us and through us. Romans chapter 5. I heard this just in my listening just yesterday. I wanted to throw it in. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Thinking of what the Holy Spirit does. Thinking about the difficulty of suffering. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Now, we've heard that many times, right? Character, that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has, who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is to flow, is, is a channel through which the love of God is poured into our hearts so that in the midst of suffering, it is through the Holy Spirit ministering to you that you are able to then endure and suffer and yet know God's love in the midst of it because of the Holy Spirit is filling us. It is through his dwelling in us and ministering to us that we can live life shame-free and knowing that God is for us. And so we should be praying, come Holy Spirit, fill us, guide me. Help me walk by the Spirit, illumine to me your truth, guide me, equip me, equip me. Fill us with the joy of the Father and so much more could be said. But I wanna end just with this. This is not, so you talk about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control against those things. There are no law. And the fruit of the Spirit gets crocheted and cross-stitched, you know, as like some sort of flowery little picture. And this is what the Holy Spirit does is he gives you the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and the gifts of the Spirit are kind of these, uh, you know, super spiritual whatever realities. But this, the Holy Spirit is, is, is fascinating when you think about what he accomplishes. Let's go to an Old Testament text. This just to end on, Judges chapter 14. I thought of this this week, and it just really, I think it was, it was impactful to think on. You think about Samson, this guy with his long flowing hair, one of the judges of, of Israel. And you think about his, what, his, his acts, what he did. This is uh, Judges chapter 14. Uh, Samson sees this woman he wants to take as his wife. They don't, they, his parents don't want him to get married, so he, he sneaks out. Uh, verse 5, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, comes upon Samson. The Holy Spirit rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, you, that reference might be lost on some people, but I mean, if you've ever gone rabbit hunting, like you get done and you, and you ever clean a rabbit, it's like you can do it. I'm getting too gross now, but <laughs> sorry. It's, you, just, you can do it with your hands. You can, just, you can clean a rabbit just with your bare hands. And so, but Samson does that with a lion. How in the world did he do that? The Holy Spirit came upon him. The empowering that Samson needed to tear a lion to pieces 
was the Holy Spirit showing up in his life. Don't we, we should never think that the Holy Spirit moving in our life is some weak, floaty, airy thing. The Holy Spirit is what empowered Samson to tear a lion apart. You want that power on your side. <laughs> you want that God to be moving in your life. Now, hopefully, I'm not saying go to the zoo and try to tear a lion apart. Again, that's narrative, okay? So it's not necessarily we now all of a sudden can go out and kill lions with our bare hands. I mean, give it a shot, but uh, make your peace before you go. Uh, you know, and that's, it's not saying that, but they understand what, I'm, what we're getting at here. This is the power of God upon his people. So in our, in our lives, think of that friend of yours that you have trouble sharing the gospel with them. Uh, maybe a person in your family. Maybe a person, uh, just a friend, a coworker that you're struggling just communicating the gospel very clearly. They seem like they're a brick wall. They don't want to hear nothing about Jesus. The Holy Spirit moving in that situation is not some weak thing happening. That's the Holy Spirit that empowered Samson to tear a lion apart. Do you think it can break down barriers with your friend or loved one and them hearing the gospel? You better believe it can. Yes, yes, God can break through there. That persistent sin in your own life, that, that persistent sin, that dark attitude that may come over you, your anger, your whatever issues are going on in your heart, that spirit that empowered Samson to tear a lion in half, it lives in you. Don't let sin push you around. The Holy Spirit that tore a lion apart through Samson lives in you. When sin comes knocking at your door, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Don't lay down and let sin walk over you. Fight it, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The family problem that you seem unable to resolve or get worked out don't give in to despair. Don't give up conflict in a certain family, a child maybe that you're struggling with, marital issues, a fight that keeps reoccurring. You never seem to get any headway on it. Don't despair. Don't give in. The same spirit that empowered Samson to tear a lion in half lives in you. Be filled with the spirit. Walk in obedience and let God move through you. Are you filled with the Spirit. Every day, every moment, may we seek to be filled with the very power and presence of Christ for our own joy and for the spread of joy throughout the world. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice that it is through Jesus that all these things are made possible. His work on the cross, what we have just discussed last week, bearing our sin, taking our punishment, so that every one of us confessing our sins, looking to Christ and his righteousness could be forgiven of that sin, made righteous in your sight, justified, adopted into your family and given the Holy Spirit. We pray, fill us, Father. Fill us with the Spirit that we might live lives in power, in holiness, in righteousness, in love, in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Fill us. Fill us, God, we pray. Give us eyes to see the joy and the glories of Christ and, and empower us that we might live a life that makes much of Jesus. For he alone is deserving of all of our praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.